welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod. My name is Lavinia Reynolds, and I'm a research associate here at the Environmental Law Institute. Today, we are thrilled to feature a conversation on combating deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. The Amazon covers nine countries and 40% of South American landmass. Indigenous populations, loggers, miners, and farmers rely on the forest for the resources that it provides. However, rising deforestation rates are now threatening the Amazon. Governments have implemented enforcement strategies to combat deforestation with limited success. Given the vast size and numerous stakeholders that rely on the rainforest, innovative and cooperative methods are needed to combat deforestation. Today, we are joined by Avital Lee, a research associate at the Environmental Law Institute. We are also joined by policing and judicial reform expert Mark Ungar. Mark Ungar is a professor of political science at the Brooklyn College and the Graduate Center and a professor at the CUNY Criminal Justice Doctoral Program. He has written and edited numerous books and articles on judicial reform, citizen security, and policing. Professor Ungar is an advisor to the United Nations, the Inter-American Development Bank, and the governments of Argentina, Bolivia, Honduras, and Mexico. In 2011, he was elected to the Inter-American Institute of Human Rights, the investigative body for the Inter-American Legal System. He was also a fellow at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, D.C., Thank you so much to Avi and Professor Angar for joining us in conversation today. Without further ado, let's jump right into this conversation. Great. Thank you so much, Lavinia. Um, we're really happy to be here. Um, Mark, why don't we start with um, giving a little bit of an introduction to you and your work and maybe how you got into this field? Sure. Um, I'm a professor at the City University of New York, and I have been working uh, for the past 30 years in security reform, um, working to help police become more accountable and uh, um, focus on human rights in Latin America. Um, and over the past 15 years, has um, I moved into the area of environmental policing, working with police in the Amazon Basin in Central America uh, to improve their enforcement of environmental law um, against environmental violations that are rampant throughout the region. This led, I worked um, with, on a big project with the Inter-American Development Bank to assess the new police forces, the new prosecutors that were being developed in the region. So about 10 years ago, this was a very new development in Latin America, one that countries were finally putting institutional uh, support behind. And so with the Inter-American Development Bank, we did this report that led to a book um, in 2017 about um, environmental enforcement. The main um, trends in the problems of deforestation at Amazon have gotten worse over the past 10 years. They were improving after the turn of the century, after 2000, 2005. Um, but over the, uh, since about 2010, they've gone up in nearly every single country, doubling in some cases. And the ish, the reason for that is logging not only for timber and for clearing land for cattle, but also for mining, particularly gold mining, uh, wildlife trafficking, clearing for palm oil, which is an extremely lucrative crop and sold throughout the legal market, um, and more and more on narcotics. Um, 
so the drug cartels that have been forced out of many areas have been moved into the Amazon and um, are cultivating cocaine in some of the nature reserves. So these seem to be just a huge web of, of interconnected and, and sort of overlapping challenges. Um, can you describe some of the current um, actions, policies, or plans that um, are being implemented right now to attempt to combat the deforestation and, and illegal logging and criminal activity that are associated with all of these sort of challenges that you just named? There's a lot of really great efforts and effective strategies that have been in place for a while and that have proven effective that are now being stepped up and refined throughout the region. Uh, one which is very important is having separate reserves, protected areas for indigenous people, uh, for um, complete uh, prohibition of economic activities. So areas that are reserved in different statuses in the region. A second really important strategy is satellite monitoring. So with the improvement of GPS and technology, there's been a huge boom in the ability to have real-time monitoring over forest fires, over uh, uh, clearing of land, over deforestation, and other economic activity that's destroying the uh, Amazon. Um, and a lot of those images we've become familiar with in the uh, this year's 2019's fires in the, in the Brazilian Amazon. Um, a third step being taken is better economic development, um, sustainability. Uh, a really good example is Mato Grosso, which is a state in Brazil, which is notorious for mass cattle ranching soy. Um, the new governor, Mauro Mendes, um, is committed to having a sustainable uh, agriculture. So even at large scale, there's been uh, a push in many regions for sustainable economic development. Um, another approach which has been very effective is better citizen inclusion. Um, so in many places, there are um, citizen patrols, like in Ecuador and Suriname. Um, people are given instruments. Um, in some parts of Brazil, for example, these um, are sort of like cell phones in which native uh, uh, communities can report anonymously any kind of um, logging or fires that they see directly to the prosecutor's office. So better citizen inclusion. Um, and finally, it's the Red Plus program. And this is uh, one reason why um, deforestation had been tackled successfully about you know 20 years ago. This is a UN program called Reducing Emissions from Deforestation and Degradation. Um, to provide economic incentives for conservation, sustainable management, uh, improving forest carbon stocks. Um, so basically international money to help countries um, sustain some of their forest areas. Um, and then finally I would mention is um, a slow but steady improvement in legal reform and legislation. Uh, so for example, one big problem is that a lot of land is unclear who owns it. Uh, the property is not uh, under any particular name, and therefore it's very easy for people to invade land, take it over, use it for clear-cutting. Um, and so property rights legislation. Great. So a lot of um, the initiatives that that you just mentioned are um, fall in the realm of sort of information gathering and and programming and and you only sort of got into the more specifics about legal reform and policy 
Um, would, could you please elaborate a little bit on sort of the policy infrastructure um, and the, the work that's being done on enforcing some of these laws and making sure that these, these programs are actually being uh, implemented as they should? Uh, yeah, there's many different ways. Um, I mean, to go to the very concrete part of that is the legal structure that I had mentioned earlier being set up throughout the region um, that started about 10 years ago in which countries have created environmental police agencies, environmental prosecutor's offices, and environmental courts. Um, and they are increasingly working together. It's a, it's a, it's a struggle, uh, but police on the ground gathering evidence, you know, finding witnesses, protecting people, providing that information, that evidence to prosecutors who can then use the law to um, charge people formally and then judges to rule on those cases. So there's been a much um, great improvement in creating that legal structure, which you mentioned in terms of making these laws stick, um, you know, enforcing the laws, making sure that uh, people are protected. You know, one of the big problems in Latin America and all the um, other regions in the world is killings of environmental activists. Um, it's gone way up um, and protecting people who are whistleblowers against environmental crime is, is extremely important. So having police protection, having prosecutor protection um, is crucial. Um, another way that is being enforced, which is, doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, which is enforcement of other non non crimes that are not strictly environmental, such as money laundering, um, huge amounts of money that is created by environmental crime gets easily laundered into the banking system. So controlling flows of money, controlling you know informal banking um, mechanisms throughout the region. Um, there's a lot of informal um, operations that are occurring. Um, Another is imports and exports, which is very interesting because one of the worst forms of environmental crime in the Amazon is gold mining. And one reason why it's so bad is that it uses you use mercury, which is extremely poisonous, to extract gold. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of regions in Peru and Colombia and Brazil, huge watersheds where thousands of people depend on for the drinking water and for their food, um, are completely poisoned by mercury. Um, some say in the Amazon and Colombia, only about 2% of the drinking water is actually safe. Um, and other, other ways that are being controlled um, is import of things like equip excavators. You know, a lot of the equipment used to um, you know, basically tear up the forest, um, those are equipment that's being, that has to be imported into the region that comes down the highways. So controlling the import and export of cru critical supplies like mercury or excavators is one way that they're um, trying to enforce this. And then finally, I would mention, which is really important, is coordination. There are so many different agencies. Uh, a lot of them don't uh, trust each other. They exist at the local level, the regional level, the national level. You know, there's the, the, the military, uh, there's the courts, there's the uh, elected officials, there's oversight officials. Um, and improving the coordination among them is important. And one example of that is Colombia has a program called uh, Barbujas Ambientales, which are basically requiring these agencies to work together um, in shared objectives and outcomes. Um, so focus on coordination is one way that um, all this is being implemented and enforced. Um, so sort of building on 
those last points, um, and, and based on, on all the research and work that you've done on this, including the findings that are presented in your book, The 21st Century Fight for the Amazon, how do you think you would prioritize um, the, the, first, the first and most necessary actions that these countries and, and perhaps the international community need to make to, um, to improve the enforcement outcomes of, of existing legal and political infrastructure on, on deforestation in the Amazon? I guess there are many levels to that and, and many obviously very challenges and tasks that need to be uh, taken care of. Um, on one level is a very practical, very daily uh, actions that need to be supported um, in terms of you know international aid or support from the country toward them. Um, so for example, training for police, better police operations. A lot of places in Colombia, for example, the environmental police aren't allowed to go because of safety reasons. So for example, I was in a region in southern Peru in Madre de Dios, which is under uh, a state of emergency because of uncontrolled gold mining. And the police would come in and have these massive raids and the gold miners would just uh, flee to other regions of the uh, area and, and, and start their gold mining over again. So better training for police, more consistent operations by the police that um, have long-term effectiveness, um, better resources. So one, it's amazing that um, there's a lack of laboratories in some of these regions. So when there's um, the police or prosecutors want to test water for contamination, they often ha have to send it back to the capital. Um, and then it could take months before it comes back. So there's the, the basic equipment, basic needs that they have to uh, have to operate aren't, don't exist. Um, they don't have boats. They don't have trucks. In Bolivia, the environmental police has to borrow trucks from the uh, SPCA, sort of the Animal Protection Agency. Um, there's no judges. There's no prosecutors. In, in uh, one region in Peru, which is about the size of New York State, there's one judge to handle all environmental crime. Um, so basically supporting you know, resources, operations, training, um, monitoring roads. One of the huge problems is that countries like Brazil and Bolivia and Peru have, have cut the force with these massive highways, a lot of them to get you know, soy and exports cattle to the Pacific Ocean you know, for, for the booming trade with China. And because those roads um, allow for other people to kind of carve out secondary roads, you know, sort of this, you see the sort of fishbone pattern in which people have more and more access to the uh, area. And there's no monitoring of that. There's no documentation of that. So better topography, better monitoring of that um, is one thing. So a lot of this is, is very technical. It seems very specific, but it all adds up to giving them the, the ability to carry out the operations and the, and the structure that they've set up, um, but can't quite do the job that they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me that a lot of these sort of proposals seem to be relatively simple or, or I guess maybe procedural. Um, and I wonder how, how actually likely you think that um, it might be that either these will be actions that the international community might provide assistance or might prioritize assistance for, or that um, these countries themselves might recognize is a, an important need. Um, I think it, I mean, I think it's important to have, to maintain international attention. 
mean, obviously there was great attention with the fires in Brazil, um, but that needs to be sustained. There needs to be a constant um, attention. Um, and one really interesting example is Al Jazeera did a documentary on illegal uh, logging from Peru, and they tracked the whole process of these woods being extracted and exported following these wood uh, down the Amazon River to Mexico and then to Texas and all the companies that were involved in allowing this to occur. So uh, for the international community to identify which companies, United States companies, you know, um, there's a lot of uh, – in Switzerland, for example, gold companies that buy illegal gold, um, you know, uh, uh, beef companies that buy cattle that's not sustainable. Uh, oil palm uh, is huge. This is an extremely destructive crop. Um, a lot of it's being cultivated illegally and it's destroying a lot of the environment and it's being bought by, you know, major companies. So sort of not exactly money laundering but sort of the – uh, integration of illegal crops, illegal and destructive activities into the legal market, you know, timber, foods, etc. So having media attention to those kind of details, identifying who is responsible for those kind of actions, I think is hugely important. Um, similarly with money laundering, um, I will also say an important gap in um, the area which the international community can help with is the inter-border areas. Um, there's a lot of distrust among the countries. There's a lot of you know, conflict on the border, so particularly the border of Colombia and Venezuela. So providing drones, providing service to um, to monitor the, those areas. Um, there's actually an environmental police training camp in Brazil that they've been trying to get to have better regional cooperation. So the international community could do a lot in terms of um, the, the, the financial side, the corporate side, the media, um, the training, um, you know, and pushing for cooperation among the countries as well. I guess that that kind of spurs another question, which is just whether you think that, I mean, I know that there can often be big criticism towards actors like the United States making um, sort of pronouncements on on what should be done and, and, and defending a certain position, especially on environmental protection. Um, to countries that could easily justify that they are in an economic position in which they need to be harvesting resources and using them and, and for people's livelihoods. So can you speak a little bit on that tension and, and whether you think that might come, come into play at all if the international community um, is taking a more active role in identifying necessary next steps to protect the Amazon? That's a really good question because there's so many different layers to that. And one reason why I like to talk about very concrete, specific, nonpartisan measures such as supporting police or, you know, um, you know money laundering is that um, it's a way for the, the international community to do things that are already being done, that have allies within the region that these countries want to do themselves. And But you point to the larger question of economic development. And as a Latin America, uh, someone who studies Latin American politics – there's a long history of the whole region being dependent on natural resources. Um, one reason why the economy goes up and down is because prices of those goods goes up and down. So cattle, soy, um, etc. And it's a very precarious way to exist because um, uh, of the, the, the differences, the, the changes in the international um, 
uh, economy, and particularly, for example, the price of oil plummeting um, has hurt the region drastically. And then with climate change, um, that's having much more of an impact and much damage on the ability for crops like soy and cattle, etc. Um, and so helping the region move away from dependence on natural resources, I think it's a, it's a long-term, it's a heavy lift in terms of shifting something that's existed for you know, hundreds of years. Um, and at the beginning, we talked a little bit and touched a little bit on the topic of, of human rights and, and the idea of rights-based approaches to um, improving sustainable and, and promoting sustainable land use um, has been gaining attention in, in recent years around the world in the environmental community. Um, so I guess could you speak a little bit about um, how sort of land rights play into this issue and, and particularly indigenous land rights um, and indigenous human rights. Yeah, I mean, there's so many levels to that. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the going to the question of um, the importance of reserves and having areas that are no go zones for um, economic activity, um, having that physical separation to protect indigenous people. Um, and Ecuador, for example, has a fairly good structure in which there are different levels where um, some forests where the uh, indigenous groups want to have interaction, some where they don't, don't want to have interaction. Um, there are some forests that are called working forests, so they have certain levels of economic activity. Um, and also economic activity that is sustainable and adaptable by indigenous people. So a really good example of that is um, castanhas, which are known as Brazil nuts, sort of like acai, where they're highly sustainable, they're highly they're, they're easy to cultivate, um, and they can be done at the local level by indigenous people. Um, so supporting them, supporting their property rights, supporting their reserved areas, supporting the kind of status that they want in terms of how much economic activity, what kinds of economic activity they want in their areas. Um, and another way to help them is also um, this uh, development, which is known as green municipalities, which are uh, – it sounds like a small town, but a lot of municipalities in, in Brazil, for example, are the size of small states in the United States. And you know, a lot of them are adopting what they, they call the green approach where they have at the local level sustainable agriculture, more ecotourism, things like that. So you know, the international community – um, you know, one idea I had is having sister cities so that, you know, uh, cities in the United States or Europe could partner with some of these cities through, you know, economic support exchanges to support their approach toward protecting their indigenous people, protecting their local environment, which they can do, you know, um, within the area. You know, and this is particularly important when you have economic and political instability at the national level, such as in Brazil and Venezuela. Um, helping municipal governments, which are closest to the indigenous people, which are closest to the people in general, um, supporting them, I think, is really important and gets below the sort of, you know, the, the larger political tensions that you mentioned uh, over imperialism, things like that. Having that, you know, um, person to person or city to city contact, I think, could be really helpful. Great. Thank you. Um, and so one just last question. Um so as we kind of touched on earlier in the conversation, this issue has received a lot of um, international attention in recent months. Um, we all saw the 
the horrendous photos um, of the fires in the Amazon. What um, are a couple things that lay citizens um, who are not living in the Amazon basin, um, what, are, what are some actions that, that people who are concerned can take um, to help or, or to spread awareness about these challenges? Um, you know, I think the, the very ones that we are um, familiar with in terms of being educated, also being educated about companies, you know, who is it that's um, providing equipment um, to these areas? You know, I'm, I'm always surprised when I go down there and I see Caterpillar, Volvo, you know, major international firms whose equipment shouldn't be there because it's using, being used to destroy the, um, the rainforest. Um, and also companies that are doing good. One surprising aspect of that is in Brazil, in Amazona state, which is one of the states in the Brazilian Amazon, has had a low rate of deforestation in part because Manaus, which is their main city, is a free trade zone. Um, and so people, instead of, you know, people are very poor, people are very desperate. Um, countries like Brazil and Bolivia encourage, you know, populated cities and people to move into the rainforest. But instead of cutting down the rain, instead of cutting down the trees, um, in Amazonas, they can get jobs in a, uh, uh, um, a factory. So Kawasaki, for example, Mitsubishi have operations there. So for U.S., for people outside the rainforest to understand what the companies that are located in their countries do uh, to harm or help, I think is really important. Um, and also, you know, working, finding out, you know, we know all the great organizations that do work there, but maybe doing more research on what groups don't get a lot of attention, what groups um, are working, particularly as you mentioned, the importance of um, on-the-ground work with indigenous people. So, for example, there's an um, organization I work with in Colombia called Sinchi, which is the Amazon investigation group um, that helps indigenous people move away from cattle ranching to claim their property rights to do the really specific steps that they need to protect themselves and to protect the environment. Um, so there's a lot that we can do, um, but I think it requires our sustained attention. So I think we're at a really critical stage where sustained international attention can push us in that right direction. So I think that that's a great point to close on. So Mark, thank you once again so much for joining us for this episode. This topic is so important to me and I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us and our listeners today. Great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at eli.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.